The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. We are uh, recording. We may have to stop recording at some point because I have a garburator issue. A garburator issue? Yes. Uh, my lovely wife decided that she was going to munch up some uh, leeks, which she prepared with the evening's roast, down the garburator, and it has decided to... Um, oh, hang on, back up. She wasn't using the garburator as some sort of kitchen appliance for the meal, was she? No, well, no. What she was doing was getting rid of some leaks that uh, we did not need. So they were uh, raw leaks, and I guess they were kind of kind of gummy. So the garburator, the uh, trash, um, the thing in the sink, has the appliance equivalent of acid reflux. <laughs> I thought these things were illegal. I know they are in downtown Toronto. Not in Oakville. Not where we are. They're perfectly fine. In fact, the mayor has one oh, really? in his house. So we know that everything is good. Oh, this is, uh, oh, by the way, uh, this is an uh, old, old, old sipping rum today. Oh, old sipping rum. Mm -hmm. I've got that um, scotch that I still don't know how to pronounce. Oh, okay. There's a B in it. Um, it yeah. So so if the uh, if the doorbell rings and the dogs go nuts, it's because the uh, the plumber in an hour is going to be here. I couldn't, I couldn't have a carburetor in my house. Thanks to all of those horror movies where you're trying to get something out of it and the switch is right there and it automatically flips itself. Oh, I know. I have, <laughs> I have that, that nightmare because, you know, the J-cloth goes down the, uh, the thing and you got to fish it out. And it's like, stand back. Don't go anywhere near the switch. <laughs> pull, pull the circuit breaker. Pull the <laughs> I know. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Live long and prosper. We'll look back at the lives of Leonard Nimoy, a radio legend, and Sony's robotic dog, Apple's iWatch is coming. We'll look at reasons not to buy the latest wrist gadget, and we'll take you across the pond to the release of Samsung's very iPhone-like S6. The pocket record? This was a thing? If you lived through the 60s and blinked, you would have missed it. Plus, the ways Apple will mess up the iCar, and why the first Martian astronauts will suffer from a brutal case of jet lag. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom! And now, Alan Cross. Michael Hainsworth. How upset are you about the death of Mr. Spock? I know you're a huge follower and fan of, of William Shatner and Star Trek in general. And of course, Mr. Shatner's still with us. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, not so much. Yeah, it was sad. Um, I knew that he was ill. He had been suffering from COPD for quite some time. He was a big smoker about 30, 40 years ago. Oh, really? And he gave it up, but uh, the damage had been done. And uh, between the COPD and I heard a touch of lung cancer, um, that, that was it for him. And he was 83. And uh, it's, it's quite sad. I mean, I, as a Star Trek person, whenever one of the original cast members passes on, and he will be the third after James Doohan and DeForest Kelly, uh, it, it, is, it is sad to see the crew disappear before our eyes. A lot of stink about the fact that Bill Shatner didn't show up to the funeral. Well, he made it for afterwards, and he was doing this charity thing uh, across the country. Mm. 
And what people didn't seem to realize is that, you know, he doesn't have a private jet. He can't get there, you know, immediately. He honored this this big charity event. And as soon as it was over, he managed to get a flight and and, and went to California where everything was happening. Uh, when these things happened, uh, Nimoy was, was uh, Jewish. So, uh, you know, you die and then you have the funeral very, very uh, soon afterwards. Mm-hmm. So uh, it doesn't leave a lot of opportunity for a lot of people who, with busy schedules to plan. And, you know, if you've got... All kinds of, you know, if you have a schedule as busy as Shatner's does, and I've seen it and I've lived it, um, it's very difficult for him to be able to turn on a dime like that. So I think he was unfairly targeted. I mean, the New York Daily, uh, New York Post called him Captain Jerk, yeah. which I think is, is just, no, I don't think so. It's, it's People are, are so quick to criticize and they're not really... They're not thinking it through. To your point about him being Jewish, uh, Geeks and Beats writer Amber Healy did a fantastic write-up on uh, the death of Leonard Nimoy and uh, learned that the uh, salute, the the Vulcan salute, was inspired by the way Jewish priests held their hands when giving a blessing. He drew that from a memory of his childhood to incorporate that into the character. When I read that in the obituary, it triggered something. I remember him saying something about that in an old biography or an old documentary or something. It was, oh, yeah, that's right. That's where he got it from. Can, can you do it? Can you do Oh, the, I can uh, do it. Hey, even though I'm not a Star Trek fan, I'm more of a Star Wars type of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I can do it, too. Uh-huh. I have to think about it. I mean, it's something that I have to work at. But, uh, yeah, I can do it. Hey, any geek worth his salt can do so. Uh, the child of a Ukrainian Jewish immigrant family, his career was more than just Star Trek. Uh, he was in he was in the, the Bangles' greatest hits short video. He had, a, he had an appearance in an episode of Columbo. And apparently, he had a recurring character on Mission Impossible. I am Nakamura Taizo. And he had a recurring character-ish on Big Bang Theory. Uh ish I think is probably an accurate description of that. I mean he uh, he he voiced some stuff. He I don't did he ever show up actually on camera? He did a lot of voice work. And then there was the time Penny ended up bringing Sheldon a napkin that Leonard Nimoy had used at the Cheesecake Factory. A napkin. <laughs> Turn it over. <laughs> to Sheldon. Live long and prosper, Leonard Nimoy. He came into the restaurant, sorry the napkin's dirty, he wiped his mouth with it. (laughs) And you could replicate him. There you go. I possess the DNA of Leonard Nimoy. Oh, his audio work included uh, the animated Star Trek cartoons, the video games, etc. The one thing I never understood about TV stars, and this goes for Shatner as well, is why they feel obligated to do traditional music. He covered songs like Proud Mary and I Walk the Line. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine, I walk the line there was, there was a period of time when it was very cool for TV stars to put out albums back in the 1960s. Whether they were good at it or not? No, whether it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It was, you know, that was the 60s, and 60s were a freewheeling sort of thing, and it was easy enough to get somebody uh, into a studio and lay down a bunch of tracks. There, I have a picture on my website of Leonard Nimoy playing drums with 
Adam West. <laughs> oh, God. And the internet, had it existed at the time, would have blown up. It would up. have melted down. So, you know, Mr. Spock with Batman playing drums. Um, let's take a moment here. This may be more inside baseball for you and me than anything else, but uh, we're also marking the passing of someone who hired you. Yeah, this was really sad. I got up uh, Monday morning and I saw my email and uh, saw that Don Burns had passed. Uh, Don was a legendary radio guy, did a lot of AM radio in the U.S. in the 1970s. Places like WKBW, he worked in San Diego, he worked in Kansas City, he worked in... uh, a bunch of places, Dallas. And uh, in the early 80s, he came to uh, CFNY. What, what would you say is his indelible mark on NY? Uh, he was the music director and program director for a while, and he did afternoons for a while as well. And he was part of, he was David Marsden's right-hand dude. So uh, he was part of that whole spirit of radio thing. And uh, he left in 92, never to come back. And he became later uh, Dr. Trance. Now, if you talk to a lot of kids that were involved in the rave scene, the rave and techno scene in the 1990s, a lot of people will remember Burns as very fondly as Dr. Trance, the, uh, the older techno DJ, and how he introduced them to a whole new culture when it came to music. CFNY gets a lot of credit for really pioneering a lot of music radio, not just in Canada, but in the United States. If I recall correctly, they get credit. Uh, it gets credit for uh, discovering the police. Uh, there's some, sure, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. There, there's a bunch of bands that that uh, found um, a home on the radio station and then propagated from there. And we'll, we'll sure we'll go with the police. Meantime, uh, Geeks and Beats writer Matt Padani uh, is reporting on funeral services, uh, not for Mr. Burns, not for Mr. Spock, but for the Ibo robotic dog. Everybody knows Japan is obsessed with robots, but things in the land of the rising sun are getting just a little creepy. Oh, great. Now you tell me. People there are now holding funerals for their robot dogs because they believe the bots actually have souls. This phenomenon revolves around one dog in particular, Sony's Ibo. Released back in 1999, the robo-pooch was discontinued in 2006 when Sony ran into financial trouble and couldn't justify selling the $2,000 novelty. The service shops were just closed last year, though, so the Ibos have been dying off without their checkups, and owners have been sending them off to the afterlife in traditional Japanese style. It's one of the rare times when culture is front-running technology and it's got the philosophy types rethinking the question of just who and what is truly alive. You are a man, I am a machine. Other than that slight difference, we have a great deal in common. For Geeks and Beats, I'm Matt Padani. Oh, God, that's sad. You you, you have to put the dog down, whether it's alive or uh, not in the first place. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Ibo. You... The original dog from 1999 had a 50 megahertz 64-bit processor with 16 megabytes of memory. It had a touch sensor on its head and one on each paw, 1.8 megapixel camera with an infrared range finder and LED lamps for expressing happiness in green or anger in red. And the stereo microphones built into its ears, one on each side, allowed it to know where you were talking from and it had a pair of heat sensors so it knew if you were picking it up you've you've run out of oh god that's like putting data down i think the solution is simple 
resurrect the things with 3D printers. You know, I was in Chicago on Sunday, and there was a, a, a place called World of 3D Printing. We could have just taken the IBO there, and here's the part I need replicated. Boom, walk out half an hour later. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. I've decided I am, in fact, going to get an Apple Watch. You've convinced me. Well, we I think. have to. I mean, it's it's our jobs. We should. We need one. So, of course, by the time this airs, it will just be days away from that March 9th announcement. We don't know what the announcement is at this point, but we do know that they're talking about Spring Forward. That's got to be time-related. That's got to be Apple Watch-related. And uh, there is this neat little video that was making the rounds, the five reasons why you should not buy an Apple Watch. And of the five reasons, the only one that really struck me was that Apple is very good at making version two of a product. This is true. I would never have purchased uh, a version one of the iPhone. I did purchase version one of the iPad, and it was immediately superseded by version two, which was much better. So are we chumps here for saying that we're going to go out and buy the Apple Watch? Well, I, I, I don't know. Um... One of us should. One of us should go out and get it. And I want it for the, for you know, the health monitoring reasons. That's that's what I would want it for the most. So I'll tell you what. Um, Three hundred and forty nine dollars is what we think it's going to cost. Well, that's the base model. They are actually installing safes in the Apple stores for the uh, Apple Watch Edition edition, which is five thousand dollars. Okay, so let's let's we don't know. So let's speculate wildly here. So we have <laughs> we have a watch, and I'm going to guess that it is there is one model of of hardware and software the more expensive where where the expenses start adding up is in the quality of the case and the quality of the band right to that point i've been looking at the apple sport watch which is most likely to be the cheapest version with the rubberized band and all of that nonsense that doesn't have the sapphire crystal screen and i think that you're going to want to go that extra mile for something that's going to be on your wrist that's going to be banged around an awful lot you don't want to cheap out on this device. That's that's true because all of my watches and we've had conversations about my jewelry fetish. All of my watches have sapphire crystals uh, because I am a klutz and I am banging into things all the time and uh, I will scratch my crystal. So uh, I, I only get watches with sapphire sapphire crystals. So what? how much is that going to add to the cost? That's what we don't know. We won't know until March 9th. They'll probably make it available the very next day. No, I, I don't think they are going to see the, these things until April. Really? That Well, why would they bother then with a March 9th announcement if they weren't going to say, and you can pick it up today at the Apple store? Well, let's think about when they make an iPhone announcement. Usually it's 10 days after the fact. Okay. All right. I'll give you that. That may be the case. So I'll be back from March break at that point. I'll be able to walk into the Apple store and pick it up. I've been trying to, to figure out just exactly why I want it. And I don't really actually have a, a genuine reason other than I got a big fat bonus check and I want to spend it because it's money burning a hole in my pocket. Mm. So I went through all of those Apple videos and there were a couple of neat features. And the one feature that I thought was neat, particularly, we knew the thing vibrates, yes. but apparently the vibrate is such a light touch that you don't hear it. So others wouldn't know that you received that clandestine text message. And the neatest thing about the GPS for the turn left, turn right, is it's one tap for left, two taps for right. See, that's kind of cool. 
that really is kind of cool because I was using a GPS uh, when I was in Vancouver on the weekend because I was trying to find my way to an appointment. And I found myself looking down at my phone, draining, you know, the battery like you wouldn't believe. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I can see that. I would use it that way. And this whole idea of it vibrating, saying, hey, you know what? You've been sitting on that chair for an hour. Time to get up and move around. I like that because I would uh, I get into a zone Mm -hmm. when I'm doing writing or anything at my my desk Mm -hmm. and I could be there for three hours. And uh, I need a reminder to get up and move. Meantime, Geeks and Beats London Bureau Chief Phil Loftus. We, we have a London Bureau Chief. <laughs> we, remember this guy called in last week complaining about something I had said about smart TVs? Oh, yeah. What, so you hired him? Well, I figured he hates the show so much, we need to hire him. Okay. So we're paying him absolutely nothing. Right. Like all of our other reporters. Right. Uh, and he filed this report on Samsung's new smartphone. the same hysteria that Apple enjoys with their product launches, but this past Sunday saw Samsung announce the latest in a line of S flagship smartphones, the S6 and the S6 Edge. In an attempt to regain ground lost last year with their underwhelming S5, Samsung have tried to up their game with the S6, which now includes a 60 megapixel 4K capable camera which they claim will launch in less than a second, and wireless charging as standard. But, following on from Apple's lead, there's now no microSD card slot and the battery is non-removable. Most notably, the overall design of the S6 has been improved. Gone is the tacky plastic trim for a more high-end feeling all-metal sides and a Gorilla Glass back which comes in a variety of colours. Most interestingly is the S6 Edge. With the screen curving off at both left and right sides, Samsung say this will improve the way people receive notifications and stay in touch with contacts. With Apple now well and truly joining, if not leading, the big screen smartphone party with the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, Samsung needs to offer something amazing with their products to sway customers in their direction. And whether they have the edge in the battle of the sixes remains to be seen. Phil Loftus, Geeks and Beats, London. Sounds like Samsung's stealing a page from the Apple Playbook. Non-removable battery, no additional memory upgrade, and the glass back, which, as we know from the uh, iPhone 4, was an absolute abject failure. Yeah, a really bad idea. How, you know what? I have to say that that, that, that sounded like a really high-class BBC report. I like it. <laughs> I like it. He's hired, is he? I, I we, we keep him. I, so the one thing that interested me about the, the S was that little edge on the side for the notifications. I suppose if I've got an Apple Watch, I don't care about my iPhone or my Samsung with a little edged uh, display. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The idea is that the, the screen actually curves off the edge of the device and the main screen goes off, but this little strip along the edge stays lit so that you can see all your notifications. Well, if you have a watch, you can just discreetly look down at your wrist and see what the notifications are, which is a lot better than pulling out your phone out of your pocket and in front of somebody and just annoying them that way. I, I can't believe the Nerdosphere is not absolutely agog over the fact that it's got a built-in battery now. No. They, that, that's what they held over us. I know. See, Samsung just throws stuff against the wall. They manufacture anything 
and throw it out there. And if it works fine, if it doesn't, they. Uh... Oh wait. Oh, is, is is that the garburetor repairman coming? That is the garburetor repairman. Well, then let's take a break. Get your garburetor fixed. Okay. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. Time now for Geeks and Beats updates. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati, from the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News Update. We are absolutely rolling in dough, my friend. We're making about 40 bucks. Okay. Still, <laughs> how much I was making per shift when I got into the business in 1983. Uh, this show is crowdfunded uh, on uh, geeksandbeats.com. You can go there and you can uh, support the show. And if you do so, there are multiple ways you can do it. You can join our intern program, which is the world's worst intern program, where you pay us to work on the big show. And just like a real intern, you don't actually contribute anything to making the show happen. Uh, Peter Robel, uh, Rick C. in Oakville, thank for... Frank Favari, Dan Dion, and uh, Ian McClellan, uh, alongside Tim Rickard and Chris Goss, and uh, Matthew are among the new guys, with C. Scott and Mike Tweedle, who have just joined up at a buck per episode. And you set a maximum, too, and some of them have. For example, Ian McClellan is only going to give us $1. Thanks, pal. Uh, but uh, we got Mike Tweedy, who set a $1 an episode donation, and he says, you know what, I'll give you 4 bucks in total. Well, that's money kind of them it is i was in vancouver on 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 the weekend and i ran into a couple of people who listen to the show rather faithfully um they're deadbeats they they do not support us in any way shape or form but uh, they do like the show see the reason why you need to support the show is alan's got a garburetor problem in the kitchen and the dogs are barking mad down there because the garburetor guy is fixing it as we speak well he just came in and uh you know the little one does not does not like uh unfamiliar males in the house <laughs> That's understandable, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. I never have to worry about the wife having an affair. <laughs> not while the dogs are around, anyway. Well, not while the dogs are around and you and I are doing the big show. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, so if you go to geeksandbeats.com or you go to the Patreon uh, page, which is the actual organization we're using because we stole this idea from Jesse Brown over at Canada Land uh, Show. Yeah, we did. You go to patreon.com slash geeksandbeats. And apparently he's making a ton of cash. He's making a ton. You know what? Let's look, find out what the difference is between us and uh, him. Uh, patreon.com slash Canada Land Show. Um, um, real journalism versus a couple of guys pulling it out of their asses every week. Um, we are making $550 a month. He is making $9,693.25. <laughs> a month. We have 42 patrons. He is 1,922. So he's making he's making 120k a year from a podcast. Wow. You know what? They said that wouldn't last. Well, you know, I think thanks to to Serial the NPR's great uh, podcast about the guy who did or did not kill his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Podcasts have actually come back into favor, and a lot of people are thinking that, yeah, you know, it's not a bunch of dorks in their basement uh, spouting off on, on, on nonsense. It, it is a real 
actual form of, um, of, of, of on-demand entertainment. Now, we are a little different in the sense that we have a podcast available on demand, and we're on a radio network, so we got the best of both worlds. And uh, someone on uh, Twitter had pointed out, uh, why on earth are we begging for money when we are on the Bell Media Radio Network uh, with stations uh, across the country? Uh, what I guess he doesn't know is that they're getting this show for free. Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. They aren't paying a dime for this gold. Yes. Now, if uh, somebody is in radio sales and unemployed, uh, we do have the option of being able to sell our own ad time. However, Michael and I will not be doing it because we suck at that. Yes. So uh, if you are an unemployed radio salesperson, you're looking to somehow get into the wild world of podcasting and you want to help sell um national spots on this radio program give us a call meantime we got a phone call at 323-319-NERD which is your way to talk to us Alana from Toronto is responding to our report last week that Starbucks is getting out of compact discs she points out it's all about the liner notes my name is Yana Schilder I'm calling from Toronto I read today on your blog that Starbucks is going to stop selling CDs uh, this is really too bad, because I quite enjoyed the Starbucks CD compilations, and I have quite a few of them. There was one with Music of the Beach Boys done by a bunch of artists, and that was great to blast in the car in July and August. There was one of uh, Argentine Tango that I bought several copies of to give as gifts, and my friends in Montreal loved that. And I don't want to sound like a Luddite, but there are things that we're giving up with, with albums. We're giving up albums as a form of musical expression. People buy single songs they like today. Most people don't know that the album was actually invented by Frank Sinatra and his producer, Royal Gilmore. We're giving up the experience of hanging out at the record store. I really miss that. Yes, you can join music chat rooms and exchange stuff on Facebook and whatever, but that's like the difference between online dating and real dating. We're also giving up CD liner notes, not the gushy, I want to thank everyone in the world and God variety, but liner notes that were written by the best music critics of their day. Elegant liner notes that would sometimes read like a wonderful essay in the New Yorker. And listen up, music labels. Liner notes were biblical, as in liner notes beget other CDs. For every CD that I would buy, I would find two more that I wanted to buy after reading the liner notes. Lastly, we're giving up collective memory. There are now at least two generations of music fans that haven't heard of Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong. And one day, the next generation is going to ask, who is this guy, Quincy Jones? Collective memory is huge. I guess we're trusting Google with our collective memory of music. She brings up some very good points, doesn't she? She certainly does about the liner notes in particular. There was a time when we thought that Apple was going to go very big when the iPod was going to get uh, graphics on it, not just the, the actual uh, thing itself, but the iPod would be put onto the iPad and we would see a resurgence of interest in liner artwork as well as the actual liner notes themselves. That didn't seem to happen. No, it didn't. And as somebody who has written liner notes for an awful lot of CDs, I have. In fact, if you go back to Weezer's Red album and look at it very closely, you'll see that a chunk of those liner notes were written by me. Uh, I love liner notes. I, I love being able to turn something over in my hands 
as I'm listening to it because you know you learn something, you absorb something. It's 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 sad. I don't know if Starbucks was the savior of liner notes. However, I'm rather interested in the Argentine Tango CD that she talks about. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just not the way it used to be. I, I, I got to tell you, my friend, we, we got to get that garburator uh, repairman out of your house because yes. that dog is just going nuts. Yeah, she is not happy. Not she happy at all. Not happy at all. I was fascinated by what you had posted, speaking of liner notes uh, and, and albums in, in general, on a journal of musicalthings.com and geeksandbeats.com, the pocket record, 1967, um, hip Pocket Records launched with Atlantic, Mercury, and Roulette on board for a 69-cent pocket-sized disc. You know, I have done innumerable hours of research on music storage formats. Everything from, you know, uh, wax cylinders to Edison versus uh, Berliner discs to transcription records to 78s, you know. I'd never heard of these things, ever, up until uh, this past week. Little four-inch things, flexible. You can put them in the back pocket of your pants. Uh, Even Apple, uh, Apple Core, as in the Beatles record label, uh, got involved in this whole thing. And, um, uh, uh, you know, these things are now worth, apparently, a a decent amount of money to collectors. If you had the Apple Records uh, pressing of a Beatles album, that's worth something in the neighborhood of 350 Canadian dollars today. Yeah, no kidding. Isn't that wild? I've never, ever heard of these things. I've never seen them. I go to a lot of record shows. I've never seen them on display or for sale. But, you know, obviously they, they existed. This comes from the vinylfactory.com, which is a very good site that, uh, that deals with a lot of stuff uh, like this. And uh, you know what? Now I'm going to have to, I, I need one. I, I'm going to you know, get one, put it in a frame, hang it on my wall. Philco manufactured the pocket discs themselves and uh, actually built a, a portable record player designed for them to be played on. For 50 cents, you can get The Doors, Sonny and Cher, Marilee Rush, and Joan Baez. And we thought the 8-track was a dead format. No kidding. Cut the cord and go to geeksandbeats.com anytime. You'll get the latest episode and links to the stories the boys are talking about. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on 8-track and cassette. So forget the Apple Watch that you and I are coveting. You're really, and I know you're an auto guy, you really do want this Apple car rumor to be true, don't you? I I do, but I don't think we're actually going to get an Apple-manufactured car. I think what we're going to get is uh, something that Apple will sell to manufacturers. I can't see Apple getting involved in actually manufacturing cars unless they buy Tesla. That's a different story. Uh, There's uh, the... Here's a fascinating possibility. All the ways Apple will probably mess up its car. Okay, let's go through them. The automobile has remained largely unchanged for over a hundred years. At Apple, we thought, how can we f*** that sh- up? <laughs> Introducing Apple Car. What you first notice when you sit in Apple Car is that there's no wheel or pedals. Siri does all the driving for you by using Apple Maps to take the most efficient route every time. 
you'll be gliding through back streets with all the ease of an Apple lawyer gliding through corporate tax loopholes. Siri, take me to Cupertino. Now driving you to the bottom of Lake Superior. <laughs> Crafted unapologetically in styrofoam, Apple Car can be personalized with a range of apologetic silicon covers that elegantly snap on to protect Apple Car's most important feature, Bono, who will sit in the back seat and play every U2 song on loop for the life of the car. Among them, of course, is the idea that if the windscreen is made of that gorilla glass that they put on the iPhones, we're totally screwed. <laughs> All it's going to take is is one rock, one bird, one leaf. You're going to crack your Apple car screen. You're going to be out of luck. You're going to have to buy the car and put it in a case. How much is Apple Care going to cost for an <laughs> iCar? <laughs> I paid a hundred and uh, eighty bucks, I think it was, for the Apple Care for my iPhone six. I think it's one ninety nine. I, well, I, I, I may have fibbed for, to the wife about that, oh. because in addition to paying, I guess, maybe the 199 or whatever it was I ended up paying, uh, when the, the only time I ever cracked an iPhone screen was under this Apple Care warranty. And if you pay 85 additional dollars on top of that, it uh, you can walk in and they will give you a brand new iPhone as opposed to a refurbished unit. I was in and out in 10 minutes. And when I asked the kid, so how many of these do you do? He says seven or eight. I said, oh, what, a month? He says, no, in a day. Yeah, I believe it. I have for the first time ever, I'm on my my iPhone 6. And for the first time ever, I have a, I think it's a crack. It's a very thin crack or it's a scratch. But for the first time ever, I've got a screen issue. Reuters is reporting that Apple's car will hit the roads by 2020. I don't. Unless they buy Tesla, no. No, 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 no. Well, to your point, they would most unlikely be building their own vehicle, but a lot of their technology would go into it. I was talking to a, a technology analyst about BlackBerry the other day, and he pointed out that uh, Apple's CarPlay is actually built on BlackBerry's QNX technology. Yes, it is. QNX is a company that BlackBerry bought a number of years ago. They're based out of Ottawa. And it's kind of like the handshaking software that goes between whatever you lay on top of it and the car's uh, infotainment guts. So it's it's this middleman, middleware, that, that works very, very well. And, you know, QNX is the software that, that BlackBerry owns and is doing extremely well worldwide. We still really haven't seen any movement on CarPlay. No, we haven't. Um, although um, iOS 8.3 is rumored to have um, is rumored to have something, hang on. No, the phone stopped ringing. iOS 8.3 is rumored to have some sort of thing, but there there still isn't any manufacturer that is making uh, CarPlay you know available to to uh, to the general public in in. Sorry. Hang tight. There's there's still no manufacturer that's that's making CarPlay available to anybody in any sort of uh, meaningful way yet. I mean, if I'm, I you know Volvo and Ferrari and a few others have actually got deals with Apple, but you would think that they would say there's, there's got to be a timeline where they say, hey, our car is now powered by Apple uh, software. But so far, no. No. Uh, meantime, you just got yourself a new Porsche. Yes. 
Now, considering the dogs are going nuts behind you there as your carburetor repairman does his job. <laughs> yes. Have you had the dogs in the Porsche? No, not yet. It's been too cold, too messy, too salty. So the car on its own looks a lot like a margarita glass after a, a frat party. So uh, I am not letting the dogs in just yet. It still has that new car smell, and I'm not going to give that up. For oh, because you mix new car smell with wet dog smell? Yeah, guess which wins. Exactly. Yes. No, so, so there will be no dog in the car until I can make sure that they're absolutely spotlessly clean. Meantime, Gizmodo.com reports that the first people who land on Mars could have one hell of a case of jet lag. Now, are we talking about... Well, you better explain this because I have... I, I suffer terribly from jet lag, especially when I'm flying east. So you, you tell me what this is about. One day on Mars, one revolution around the sun is not that far off from one revolution around the sun in... No, wait. So, hang back back up. So, one day on Mars... Yes. ...is... Not 24 hours like it is here on Earth. It's 24 hours and 40 minutes. Right. So, over time, that 40 additional minutes is going to add up. And sleep scientists are now concerned that the circadian rhythms that our earthly brains and bodies are accustomed to will have to readjust for those additional 40 minutes. This is true. Now, if you are following any of the probes, the coverage of any of the probes that have gone to Mars, they refer to a Martian day as Sol. Mm-hmm. So Sol 1, Sol 2, Sol 3. And part of the problem that they've had at Mission Control is this extra 40 minutes. Because over the course of two weeks or three weeks, uh, the people who would be following it as part of their normal workday on Earth, it would be the middle of the night. So they have problems uh, keeping up and they have to hand things off over and over again to multiple crews because there's no way that things sync up. And that's for a robot exactly. that's uh, you know traveling all over Mars. What's it going to be like when you have people there who are just slowly offset each and every day? So they would never have the same people looking after them um, throughout, the, uh, throughout the mission. Having an extra 40 minutes per day quickly adds up, according to the Atlantic.com article I'm looking at here. Uh, The difference between 6 p.m. on Earth is 6.40 p.m. on Mars, but one week later, 6 p.m. on Earth is 11.20 p.m. on Mars. Yeah, so it's going to mess with your circadian cycles. It really is. I can see this being a problem. I, I ran across this in an article, a scientific article, I think published by NASA a couple of years ago, and I thought, hmm, this could be an issue. So how do you, as a man who suffers from uh, west to east jet lag, resolve that problem? I've never been able to resolve it. Going west is easy because once you land in wherever you're going to, like I go to Singapore quite a bit, uh, I adjust myself the moment I arrive. And two things uh, you have to do is you have to adopt the current clock as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. and make sure that the backs of your knees are exposed to sunlight because I don't know why. What? No, seriously, you can look it up. If you expose the backs of your knees to sunlight, it will quickly uh, coordinate your circadian rhythms with the local time zones. It, I don't ask me why, it just does work. 
coming east, I have tried everything. I've tried the melatonin. I've tried the uh, adapting the clock thing. I've, tr- I've tried absolutely everything coming east. And I'm okay for about two or three days. I can feel a little bit woozy. But on day three or four, at some point in the day, it feels suddenly that I've been in a heavyweight boxing match. I, uh, I slur my words. I can't think. I can't stand up. I need to sleep because my circadian rhythm is, is, has said, you know what, I'm compl- I need to reboot. Go to bed. The uh, BBC reports many animals have multiple photoreceptors in addition to their visual senses, which they use to respond to light. It had been believed that humans only, and mammals in general, have non-visual light detectors only in the eye. But Cornell University scientists at White Plains, New York, say we have circadian rhythm photoreceptors on the backs of our knees. See, I told you. I told you. They tested the theory on 15 healthy individuals putting forward or turning back their body clocks in the lab. Three-hour-long pulses of light were shone on the area directly behind the knee, and it resulted in a delay of jet lag. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I go to Singapore, I immediately wear shorts, I immediately go outside, and I immediately feel better. Don't ask me why. It just works. Hey, speaking of weirdo uh, idiocracies like that... Crack.com has uh, refuted your claim that um, Idiocracy is a documentary. Uh, the idea <laughs> that the idea that smart people aren't having as many children, but dumb people are having litters. And if you advance the clock 100 to 200 years, you are in fact going to have a nation of idiots. IQ scores, according to this article, so it must be true, have risen 24 points since 1914. Okay. The intelligent quotient is set up in such a way that the average score is 100, and so people are getting smarter over time, not dumber. Then explain Miley Cyrus. Explain Paris Hilton. Explain this whole... Oh, there's no explanation for them. Explain the Kardashians. Stop making stupid people famous. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.